Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... We wanted to have a business that that did other things as well and influencing companies is one of those things. So can funds management be useful for investing money and influencing companies and funding a foundation? And I guess there's, there's all of those elements to the business. How do you create and then build a sustainable business in the financial services and wealth management space, which is already overcrowded with literally dozens of new fintechs and startups all promising to deliver expertise and strong performance to clients. On top of that mammoth challenge, then you aim to build that business with the critical foundation of genuine ethical investing. Well, two guys who had become friends via their stockbroking and investing careers, one at Macquarie Bank, the other at Perpetual, managed to pull off just such a feat and build such a business. Matt Nakard and Nathan Parkin co-founded Ethical Partners Funds Management. After decades working for financial giants, they bet their own, and at first, friends' money to back themselves. The simple idea? To invest in shares in Australian companies that, yeah, sure, need to perform well, but that also offer a genuine ethical underpinning to everything that company does. And in just three and a half years, Matt, Nathan and their small team seem to have convinced investors as ethical partners now claim almost three and a half billion dollars in funds under management. How did they build it? Well, here's Matt Nakard and Nathan Parkin in part one of our chat. Matt Nakard and Nathan Parkin, thank you so much for joining us on Build It, They'll Come. It's great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you. Your business is actually, I would regard it as still a startup. You started barely just a little more than three years ago. Would you say it's still a startup, Nathan? We would say it's still a startup. We we aim to, you know, you know, grow funds under management um, early, but but yeah, absolutely. We we need to prove ourselves with respect to performance. Yeah. So it's always an ongoing game. Yeah, Matt. How? Give us a picture of what Ethical Partners Funds Management is right now. So we're a a, a boutique investment manager, um, Australian long only shares. We're a so founder, only Australian. Only yep. Australian, yes. So we're a founder-led organisation. We're a reasonably small team. Essentially, what we aim to do is invest in Australian shares that will, on average, do better than the market in a portfolio, but also do so in an ethical manner. So only by companies that do the right thing uh, and not by companies that don't. And that's the part of the magic of the process and part of what our team looks at and tries to get right. So it's a reasonably simple but complicated business. We want to own a portfolio of shares that does better in the market. Yeah. Okay. We will get into the um, the ethical side and what's the right thing in your view. But I just wonder, Matt, what were you doing immediately before you decided to start your own game, your own business? Because you were, you'd been working at a very senior executive level at Macquarie Bank. What were you doing there? 
Yeah, so I worked at Macquarie for 16 years and really fortunate enough to get a, a number of opportunities there at Macquarie. Immediately beforehand, I was running the Asian stockbroking business with my um, co-head up there. So we had around 450 people across eight different markets in, in running that business, which was a fantastic opportunity um, for, uh, for me. And right. So that was buying Asian equities only. Yes, yeah, so on behalf of buying on behalf of clients, yeah, buying and selling, and prior to that was the, the head of research for Australian equities um, for for many years. So um, can't speak highly enough of Macquarie for the opportunities that they gave me, and and there's there's a real solid base there, I guess, for understanding markets, but also. Uh, in operating a business and, and making sure you do so in a, in a compliant and responsible way. Can I just dig a little further? Were you a stockbroker for others or were you a stock picker there? I was a stockbroker. So right. I was a research analyst to start with, so covering stocks and trying to put the correct recommendation on those stocks and helping clients like Nathan, which we may talk about a little bit later, and then went on to, to run the business, which essentially is a stockbroking business uh, for right. Macquarie. So the clients would say to you, I want to buy X Asian companies and you would execute that order. We would try and do that as best we could. That's right. Okay. Nathan, you were Deputy Head of Equities at Perpetual, a very grand and respected and traditional name in Australian business. What were you doing at Perpetual in that role? So I was uh, managing portfolios primarily and looking after a team of analysts that researched and recommended Australian shares. So I looked after the ethical fund at Perpetual for a number of years. I uh, had very good performance. I looked after the industrial share fund and the Australian share fund. So really managing around $6 billion in Australian equities assets under management uh, and had carriage across the 20 odd billion dollars that Perpetual ran uh, at that time um, in its Australian equities business. So again, just to be more specific for our listeners, were you, you were a stock picker? Yes. 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 So actually making the calls on a portfolio of Australian companies, uh, what weightings we needed to have in the portfolio, how to generate performance, um, and buying and selling decisions, um, you know, through stockbrokers like Matt, this is how we got to know each other. Um, but actually, you know, having carriage of a of a pool of money there on behalf of our clients, um, with the sole objective really is, you know, to making that money perform in excess of the Australian market. Yeah, and just for listeners who may not be in the business world, what is a stock picker? A stock picker is someone that that decides which companies you like and and the price that you want to pay for them, um, and has some determination of value, and then goes and proceeds to invest others' money on their behalf and make those decisions for them. And so, you know, we have a very we had a tr very trusted relationship with um, with clients, retail and wholesale, and asset uh, consultants and the like, and big super funds. Yeah. So Nathan, why? Did you have an itch that needed to be scratched? Why, this is to both of you, but why would you leave such great companies? Uh, well, I love the job. Um, so I knew I wasn't leaving that. Um, but I did, uh, I always watched my parents build a build a business, you know, from a home office for over 15 years into a, you know, external office and they built a business themselves. And so I think I did have a, a deep need to run a business of my own at some point. Um, so that's that was an exciting adventure, um, but we did want to create a business that had you know, that had a good soul and a and a good mind for stock picking as an investment house, but but a place that had a deeper meaning as well. So I think absolutely had that itch, um, and we felt for with purpose. the for purpose. And and it's such a it it's a little it can be a little bit of a hackneyed term, can't it? You have to be careful that you don't sort of sound too motherhoodish. But what does purpose mean to you? Purpose means that 
whilst we really strive to make the money we manage perform, there's more to it. So can we influence companies on how they operate? Um, can we have a not-for-profit organisation within our own company that funds various social needs? Uh, and so those two things were over and above and additional to managing money. And so we felt with the combination of skills that we had that that might be a good business. Matt, did you have an itch that had to be scratched? You know, you're at the, no doubt, pretty much the top of your game at one of the best, if not the best, financial houses in Australia, Macquarie. Why leave? I think it just came to its natural conclusion. I was up in Asia for the second time, so I'd been up to Asia with Macquarie prior, and um, it was just time to come back to Australia. It was time for my kids to go to school in Australia, and it just kind of came to a natural conclusion. And um, a little bit like Nathan probably different in some ways. My, my father had always looked at his own business to, to start, had many, many opportunities and, and never did it for, for a bunch of reasons. So that's something that I had thought of. Um, th there's not many people you'd start a business with. Uh, Nathan's clearly one of them. Um, Nathan was my client for, for many years. And right. So what was the germ of ethical partners? Because you obviously had a, a business friendship to start with and then did it become, how did it become more solid or more than that? Well, I think once we'd, once we'd both left uh, where we were working, we, we were you know, had time off and Actually, been a so bit of, sorry, did you leave before the idea of ethical partners came up? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we'd left. Um, I'd left Macquarie, Nathan left Perpetual. I then did a bit of travel, fortunately, pre-COVID and post being in Asia. And and we'd actually spent a fair amount of time together in Cambodia, uh, which was uh, which was terrific. And um, the, the Parkin family had funded medical centres there for, for years. You know, when, when some people go on holidays and and line a deck chair that the Parkins go to Cambodia looking for medical centres to build. That that is the the character of of Nathan and and his family. So we 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 I guess went a step further and said, well, why don't we build a school? And so we spent a lot of time in Cambodia, our families so just as well. A minute, just a minute. Step back a bit. Why don't we build a school is not the normal line that most Australians would say when they go and have a little holiday or a jaunt or take their family to Cambodia. Can you just give us a picture of how that came into your mind? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting point. I'd spent many years in Asia and and I was a property analyst and, and spent time looking at all different countries and different areas where property developments were built. So you have to go to far-fung places and you see the poverty there and it's it's quite eye-opening. It's right on our doorstep, but people don't think of it, um, you know, through India and through um, well, many places. And uh, I'd been on the Macquarie Foundation board in, in Asia, which was a terrific honour, and uh, and then knew the Parkins had been doing work in Cambodia. So really, really kind of came together and said, what what can we do here um, whilst we had that time off to to do something significant and meaningful? And and that's what we decided to do. No, no real strategy behind it, other than we we had the knowledge and had the means to raise the funding and uh, and and identified the site when and um, built the school. We we actually contributed to building it. Um, <laughs> I think we laid about three bricks, and then they told us to get out of the way. And <laughs> and the locals were all there building it and doing a terrific job, and just making sure we weren't in the way. But that that's fine. Yeah. So so when that came to fruition, um, well, well, wait a minute. Maybe Matt could yeah. um, Nathan could take up the story about. Um, this idea that, oh, you'd already had some uh, initiatives going in Cambodia. You'd built a school, your family? We had, uh, we'd been involved in funding some um, maternity centres, for want of a better word, and we, we had a link with a charity there. So we got involved in that through our kids' school at the time. 
So this is you and your wife? Yeah, and our boys. So we took our kids to Cambodia through the school on a on a trip there. Um, and the school does that because, you know, they want they want children of all ages to be exposed to different parts of the world and see the need for what it is. And so we all went as a family. I think we were the first whole family that had gone with this school trip. But just a eye-opening and fascinating, um, probably the wrong word for it, but really exposed the the poverty in different parts of the world and particularly in Cambodia. And then, of course, you think, well, what can I do about it and what can we do about it? And so the charity that took us around had programs where you could contribute to building certain things. And, you know, my wife, Robin's a, a nurse, um, will always be a nurse, which works in our business today, but said, well, that you know, the, the maternity center is something that captured her heart. So we're involved in that and we saw that built and went back and visited a couple of them and, you know, very uh, tugs on the heartstrings, of course. Uh, and then knowing that, you know, Matt had various not-for-profit, um, you know, endeavors going as well, I guess we really bonded over that. And then this, the idea for a school, can we raise enough money, ourselves and others, and the Macquarie Foundation, of course, to So how to much did you have school? to raise? Can you remember? Was it a small uh, amount by three, Australian standards? 300000 I think it was. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's not really a, a huge amount by Australian standards, but it's still a, a very large sum of money to have yeah. to raise. And for it? us as a, as a project to do uh, together, uh, you know, I thought it was a significant amount of money at the time. And... Um, you know, and 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 watching Matt execute that and said, "Well, let's do this." Uh, I honestly didn't think we'd be able to do it, to be honest. And and watching him work through it and actually do that, I thought, "Well, this is someone who's very good at what they do and so, very effective." Yeah. So, Matt, what did you actually do? You mean is Nathan talking about the actual scrounging the dough to get this built? Yeah, I think we put some money in. Well, we did put some money in to start, and then and then basically asked as many people as we could get and. Put the story out there, and and we had many really good supporters, so it was very flattering. And uh, then we had to make sure it got executed properly, and and was spent in the right way as well. And just really briefly, because this is a fascinating story, but we've got a lot more to talk about, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. But did you have someone on the ground over there who you trusted, perhaps in the educational sense, to execute the plan properly, yeah. if not the building of it? Yeah, look, it's a really good, really good question. In fact, it's funny in, in not-for-profit circles, the the intent's actually the easy part. The the execution of getting it done properly is 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 the difficult part. So there's a team of people there through Samaritan's Purse at the time um, had people living on the ground. Um, we spent some time travelling with them and the local team, and and we became very comfortable that they had the right um, connections there and the right means to to actually put it together. Um, in the right way, in conjunction with the local education department over there, so it's sustainable. So it, it's very, it's, it's key that it's sustainable from the, the local people there, the local teachers, and the local community, uh, and that's how you can hopefully make a difference on an ongoing basis. What was the link then, or the jump, to go from building a school in Cambodia, which you sort of did both of your families together, to then say we're going to start an ethical investing funds management business? I, th- I think. I think it's just getting to know your business partner uh, very, very well in different circumstances and understanding the values and what drives that person. And and once you've got that base, uh, we were satisfied. I guess we had the the skill combination, the skill base to do it, um, and and that was that was probably a big part of it. Um, spending that time. And Nathan, what was the values that you saw in Matt that you felt reflected your values? 
I think I see lots of things in Mads, just a, a very good um, business mind, someone who's very trustworthy, someone who cares about other people and cares about issues in the community uh, and, and can put all that together and make something of it. Can I just ask something? This is slight digression, but I know a lot of uh, a lot of Australians who want to give to all different sorts of causes, and certainly causes offshore are problematic, a, a bit more problematic than servicing your own community. Was there ever a time when you thought, "Will this actually make a difference?" Or is that not the right way to think that that one should think that, well, every bit helps? I think you can only do you can only do what you can do. I know it sounds silly, but you've got a um, well, it's sensible, really, isn't it? <laughs> you've you've got a, a set of goals, and and they may be small in the broad scheme of things. But if you know if you can do something and and get an outcome, um, and have it sustainable and satisfy yourself that it will actually occur and occur on a long term basis, then I think you can be reasonably satisfied. I'd I'd hate to see anyone use. That is an excuse to say, well, you never know where it goes. I'm not going to do it. Um, I don't think it's a particularly good answer. But anyway, that that's – Yeah. We, so I think you've just got to do what you can. All right. So still, how did you then make the leap, Nathan, to say we're going to start an ethical investing funds management business? Because that's still a big leap from building one school in Cambodia. Well, I think the the, the character of a person t- tells you a lot. And, you know, I think I think we developed a good relationship in doing that. Um, and once we left our respective employers, I, I guess we we then put our heads together and thought, we do want to start something new here. And making that decision, you have to want to do that. It's not something you just happen across. Because I guess if you'd still been at either Perpetual or Macquarie, you could have thought, well, we can build a ton of or a number of schools and hospitals through those foundations and through Perpetual's ethical fund. Absolutely. Perhaps. And so, you know, you can do that at, any, at anywhere really. And I guess we wanted to create a business where ethical investing and the ability or the opportunity to at least think that we could influence how companies act as a shareholder was really important. And so can we do, you know, yes, we have a foundation within our business as well called the Tatra Foundation, which is named after the area where that school is. Say that name again. Tatrai. Tatrai. So there's a little village there where the school is built and, um, you know, we'll never forget it. And it's a place we wanted to, to live on and we've got pictures in the office of that place and, and a foundation. But there's more to the business than that. And I guess we we wanted to, I guess, have a business that, that did other things as well and influencing companies is one of those things. So can funds management be useful for investing money and influencing companies and funding a foundation. And I guess there's there's all of those elements to the business. When you began in what, roughly mid-2018, it's not as if you had the ethical investing field to yourselves. I mean, you, you were just saying Perpetual had an ethical fund probably for a fairly long time. So what made you think you could make a difference ethically but still make money for investors? I think being a specialist in the area really helps. So lots of fund managers have ethical funds or sustainability funds, but it might be one of many funds. And so having it as core to our business means that we do that research ourselves. None of it's outsourced. Yeah. So all of the uh, sustainability and ethical research we do on companies isn't purchased from somewhere else. So we felt to have a 
and expertise in that area was really important. And that would lead to better investment decisions over time. Now, we thought when, I guess when we started that in 20 years from when we started, all investing would just be, it'll just be normal to think about sustainability issues. And in fact, that's come way forward and it's more normal today than it was even a couple of years ago. But that journey- um, We'll talk about that in a minute in more detail. Yeah. So I think, I guess the answer is, we think it's important to be a specialist and to have that across the whole business. And there certainly aren't many specialist managers that just do that. There's one that's been listed in Australia for, or, or been around for 30 years, Australian Ethical. Um, but but I think I'm right in saying that we are now the largest wholesale or institutional ethical specialist in Australia. Matt, when you started, what was the business model? How did you actually start? Well, we um, we needed a licence. Uh, that was the most important thing. So we. So you decided you wanted to get an Australian financial services licence. Why? Did that help with your aims, with your credibility? Yeah, we thought that was important to get that license ourselves because then we we essentially own the license and we're bound by that rather than somebody else's license. So we think that was really important, even though it did take some time. But you know, we're planning for the long term here, so we just we just uh, took that time. Um, so we have the license. Um, you know, we, we are the owners of the business. We're the people responsible for investor returns. It's a very clear, uh, accountable type of setup. Yeah. Um, as Nathan was saying before, we think being a specialist is important, but but also being a boutique is important. If if our investors have a question, they can just call us up, yeah. just ring us up. They don't ring a call centre, they don't ring somebody else, they just ring us up and we just talk to them. Uh, so we think that's really, really important as well when competing against um, other fund managers and, and other big players. Um, and you are competing against those big players, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. People want returns. They need returns. And uh, But we think increasingly they also want to have their capital make a difference in a good way as well. But they do want both. Who are your clients? Uh, the, the range of um, mainly professional or sophisticated or institutional investors, so the super funds, family offices, high net worths, uh, charities, schools, um, ourselves. So everyone who invests with us invests um, with us literally um, with our money in the same pool of assets. So we think that's good alignment if we do well. Um, hopefully we do well for everyone, um, ourselves and, and our investors. So And we've got some some retail, um, some of my dad's in there as well. Yeah. So Nathan, just take us back to when you were applying and waiting for that financial services license. How long did that take? And were you operating? Were you sitting there twiddling your thumbs? Were you not earning any money but spending a bit on costs? We'd had a we got an office, paid our rent, and uh, signed up for four and a half years, I think, before we had an employee. Oh my goodness! So uh, we did all that, and and we were committed to starting this business and growing it from from day one. But we couldn't do anything literally for seven months. Although we did seven months. Yep. What you literally were sitting, perhaps not twiddling your thumbs, but not able to actually invest. We're about as busy as we've ever been, really. Um, and we were looking for people. Uh, we were researching companies. Of course, yeah. we knew a lot of companies and people who ran them very well from our past, but we really uh, were preparing for the day that the first fund would begin and we got our license and and making sure that we could execute that and actually know what we wanted to buy on day one. We were the first investors in the fund. And I think it's, uh, from as Matt said, it's important to do that, but you know, really we didn't have time to get anyone else at that time because we got the license and then put our money in and set the fund up within about a month. Wow. Can I ask 
what you put in at the beginning? Like, did you mortgage your house? Did you put everything in? Or was it like maybe a hundred grand between you? Or are you talking a couple of million? And also who was your first client and how much did they put in? How can you remember that feeling? Well, we, we put all our super in, um, the first starters and and additional money uh, there. We, we we didn't draw a wage for the first two or three years really. Oh, okay. um, and uh, and had all the costs that that you need to yeah. to establish things. You need your data. You need your premises. You need your computers. You need all of that type of thing. Um, I, I don't think Chris Cuff will be um, displeased if we mention that Third Link was yes. was one of the first investors, which was terrific in the fund um, after us. Chris so, Cuff being the relatively legendary um, what banker investment banker? How would you describe him? Uh, yeah, investor, money manager, finance leader, and now um, a real leader in the not-for-profit in, yeah, and entrepreneurial ethical. space. The, the amount of things that that he's Social done, investing. Uh, terrific. So he was he was there early with uh, with the Third Link fund, his fund, um, which uh, which invests with managers that that he thinks will um, will do good, will do well for his for his fund. So it was really our money, uh, Chris's Third Link, and and that was about it. Um, Can so you remember how much that was? Oh, it would have been altogether. Five to ten million dollars yeah, um, right. in that range, all combined there, yeah. and and that's enough to to put a portfolio together and uh, and and hopefully start well. How did you settle on what your ethical or your ESG criteria and guidelines would be? A lot of research and a lot of thinking. Um, at the end of the day, Nathan, being the investment director, that's that's very much his core area, so the investment process. And, of course, we discussed it and went through it in great detail, but um, that, that's – and maybe you'll get onto it, but that, that's a really, really important part of what we do. That investment process holds you through good times, bad times, and every other time, and that's what our investors want to see from us, no matter what the macro is or inflation fears and all that other stuff that that happens – it all comes back to that investment yeah. process and that's what they're getting when they get um, that investment in in our fund. So, Nathan, I mean, it can't just be feel-good, can it? It can't just be feel-good. It's got to be more than that and it can't just be exclusions either. So you, you can decide to not invest in different areas of the market. And have you decided that as well? We have. So the the unit trust or the, the Australian uh, uh, share fund that we run doesn't invest in things like gambling it doesn't invest in things like coal or alcohol or tobacco or weapons. Uh, and there's a number of other areas as well, but you can decide not to invest in things. But our research goes well beyond that. And then we say, well, how does a company handle uh, its human rights? How does it handle its supply chain? Does it disclose carbon emissions and what's it doing to alleviate those? And um, would that be enough to knock a company out? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the other areas we look at is, is country risk. So there's a number of companies here that operate in high-risk areas that high sure. risk in terms of transparency and bribery and all that sort of thing. So we won't put our clients' money into those areas either. Um, but we do, by the process that where we research companies on all these areas, we come up with a bunch of leading companies. And there are some terrific companies that are doing a lot in across all of these areas. Um, that gives us more conviction in our investment case. Let's stick with the exclusions for the moment. Have you counted out oil and gas? We have counted out fossil fuels in that fund, yes. Okay. Yes. So I know, you're down a to bit. a few sectors, really? Uh, <laughs> no, well, it's no, actually I... not a large part of the – when you add all of that up, it probably five to 
10% of the Australian equities market overall. Yeah. Um, so then on the other side, how do you work out what to include? Uh, we include companies that we have confidence in how they're approaching their uh, yeah. human rights. And so that's all the people that work for them and outside the company in supply chains, companies that are doing more environmentally um, to, you know, change things or improve things or are contributing to a, you know, a greener economy. Um, companies that are operating in low-risk areas around the world. And so these are all the things that we're seeking out. And so it just naturally leads you to identify leading companies in all of those areas. And and then we try and work those into, well, what price do you want to pay for those companies and where's the demand or... Yeah, so you've um, still got to have your financial pr parameters as well. Yeah, absolutely. Every company that we invest in has to have a good balance sheet. It has to actually make money. Um, it has to have a good and decent board and management team. And then it has to have a decent... ESG scores across the rest of our investment process, all of those things we've talked about. And so, and then we value the company and say, well, is there an opportunity here? And who does it go to? Just you two, you, the rest of your small team, or is it just based on all these, you, we've ticked there, we've ticked there, we've ticked that. So yes, we can get value out of this company. Yeah, that's right. And then the decision that we're charged with making as a fund manager is to then decide on behalf of our clients, well, where are the best opportunities in the Australian market? Um, that's fed by the internal team that we have, who's very experienced in all of these areas, and then coming to a conclusion. Well, there's there's a good good money making opportunity here, but it's got all of these characteristics as well. So I think the combination of those two things leads us to say we can hold a portfolio of companies that will satisfy everyone's wants and needs of to where their money's going, and you know, not forgetting that when you're an equity investor your money will go to expand that company and you're receiving dividends from that activity as well. Um, so our dual goals are performance and having a portfolio of you know, like-minded companies uh, that align with our in investors' um, I guess, values. You launched your Australian share fund in what, August 2018, and within one year, in fact, what was nine months later, you achieved, went through the one billion in funds under management. How difficult was that to achieve and, and no doubt to scale up your business to kind of cope with that fairly rapid growth, I would have thought? It is rapid growth and I guess there's 20 years of history there before that number um, that, you know, you come to a business with the only thing you really do have is your reputation and, and prior ability and, and the demonstration of that in, in our respective fields. So I guess, you know, you, you come with those tools and then you build the rest around that. And I guess it, it is a tremendous amount of, you know, 20 years worth of work to get to that, to that level. So, um, and it's also a lot of work on, on the ground at yeah. that time as yeah. well. So the, the backroom sort of systems, your platform, uh, approaching clients, getting big uh, super funds to back you, big family businesses, how difficult was all that? Very. I'll let Matt talk about all of the organisational aspects because he he does all of that and yeah. does it extremely well. Um, yeah, look, it, yeah. it, it's it's difficult, and and the clients expect a lot, and and so they should because you're managing the the, the or the superannuation um, of many many underly, underlying investors. So the clients expect a lot, and so they should. So there's there's a there's a fair amount of homework there in making sure you've got the right team internally. So whereas we have eleven people, there's a lot of service providers there that are outsourced that 
do a terrific job for us. So we have to go through that process, make sure we identify like-minded um, companies that support us in doing that. And then the clients send in teams of people to, to make sure we're doing the right thing. And they go through their DD and it's detailed and it's focused and as I said, it should be. And if they are satisfied with all of that, um, then they may um, entrust you with uh, some of the money. How quickly or sort of slowly, I mean, that getting to 1 billion within 12 months is is very impressive in funds under management. I mean, I'd, you know, it's it's not as big as the Magellans and the Platinums and Whams, but that's fast growth. How fast or slow was that first, well, I suppose three years, and we're only kind of three and a half years into it now? Nathan? It, it goes very quickly. And I guess, uh, look, our main focus in, in this business is delivering what the clients want and need, which is performance and and a you know values oriented portfolio and engaging with companies, but it goes very quickly because we've got a daily scorecard on how that's going, and I guess we, you know, we aim to run the business very very well, um, but we also you know there's the markets moving around daily within the first six months after we started, I think the market had dropped fifteen twenty percent in the first six months after August eighteen. Uh, as the Federal Reserve was changing interest rates around, so I, I guess you know, for me, I get caught up in the in the in the market moves and the market opportunities, and the time goes very very quickly. From the get go, have you been able to achieve your dual principles, which is to ethically invest and achieve a return, a decent return? I wouldn't say from the get go because our style of investing is very conservative and we've been in some pretty hot markets where companies with no cash flow have probably been valued at you know more highly than they ever have been in in history so um, we won't necessarily outperform in those types of markets where the market has changed over the last 12 to 18 months the performance has been very strong and so we're gaining back that early period where our, i guess our style was out of favor um, but we know where where markets are normalising and interest rates are normalising from you know all time lows essentially in history. Um, the style works very well, and the performance has been very strong over the last um, you know period of time. And and we're confident that you know when when we make investments, we're thinking three to five years time. So I guess we're not even at the first horizon of our normal kind of mindset when we're making our first investments. Yeah. What um, have the returns been? Oh, the re returns have been um, over the last 12 to 18 months, probably 25% um, as an absolute number and 6% ahead of the market. We're a little bit behind of, you know, the market since inception of that fund. Um, but we're wearing that too as investors and, you know, we know through a cycle, we, we think the team and, and our decisions can be been good enough to beat the market by 3%. And that's, and that's what our clients expect when they invest money with us. That's our goal. Okay. And when you say 25%, is that net of fees? Uh, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I think so, yes. Yes, our fees are relatively modest and, and deliberately so because, you know, we don't want that to be a, a long-term burden for clients and, and, and we pay them as well. So, Matt, what do you regard as your markers of success right now? Well, the, the, the main marker of success is the returns to clients. That's that daily scorecard. So we look at our performance. We're aware of it daily. Um, we certainly sum up our positions at the end of each month, and then we put together an annual report as well. So 
the most important marker for success is the returns to clients. And if we can do that consistently well within and beyond expectations, then our view, and maybe it's naive, I'm not sure, but we think the rest will take care of itself. So that's the the most important marker for success. And and in that marker for success, sorry, are you saying that it's X percent, say three, four, five percent, six percent above an index or just the market generally? Yeah, so the ASX 300 accumulation index, um, we want to perform 3% in excess of that each year over the long term. So that that's our that's our stated objective in, in our documents and things like that, and that's what we think we can do after fees. The other marker for success is a really important one, and that is successfully engaging with companies and having an influence on what they do in a positive way. Can so, you give us examples of that? Have you had success in that area? We, we, we have had some success and, and we're, you know, we're, we're substantial or over 5% ownership in I think six or seven companies. So um, companies know that- um, On the ASX 300? On the ASX 300, that's right. So it's a reasonably concentrated active portfolio and companies know that, um, that, that, that we're there as a shareholder and we've got a, a voice and that voice is there on behalf of all our underlying investors and that's something that's really important to the people who put money with us. Um, but, but there's a number of different examples. We, we work with new companies that come out in the IPO process and they come to us and they say, well, you know, what set of policies, how should we think about modern slavery? How should we think about measuring our emissions? How should we think about um, how we conduct business and so on? And, and we're able to sit down with them and say, well, here's best practice, here are the things to think about, here are the things to consider. And there's been a number of companies that have put in place things that, that we've suggested um, as part of that process, which is really satisfying um, for, for a new company that's listed to, to get on the right path. And that's something that we, that we love doing. We've, we've managed to work with companies on narrowing down their emissions targets. So we love companies to have targets because they're able to be measured. It keeps them accountable and keeps the business focused towards achieving them. Um, we've been able to narrow those targets down for a number of companies to, to really, we think, keep them honest in, in, in where they want to get to for, from an emissions perspective, for instance. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work on modern slavery statements with various companies on, on how to actually look at that issue of whether it be cleaning or security or um, other things um, that, that are really important in the human rights sense. So there's many, many examples there. Yeah. I mean, ESG um, environmental social governance for those listeners who aren't up with it. That's been on everybody's lips for the last several years and kind of an explosion of thought about it in boardrooms. And But are you saying that in some of those companies that you have had an impact on their thinking, that they hadn't really grappled with it enough and really thought, look, this we actually do have to do something about. Absolutely, there's a real range of progression in thinking from companies, and and it goes from the far extreme of we've never thought about it to those that are best practice and everything in between. So, and and this and this is all moving very very quickly, and it's really coming from the end consumer. It's coming from the mum and dad or the young person who's just thinking more about these issues. And what they're doing is they're feeding it up through their super funds. They're feeding it up through their advisors or through their fund managers or anyone who has anything to do with managing their money. And they're saying, I don't actually feel comfortable about um, the fact that maybe what I'm wearing has got slave labour in it, or maybe the person who's making it wasn't getting a fair wage. I don't feel comfortable about where the environmental issues and carbon emissions and climate change is going. So why would I put my money behind that? Um, as Nathan said before, why would I be feel comfortable getting dividends from companies that aren't doing the right thing here? So 
Um, help me here. And one thing an investor can't get access to generally as a mum and dad or even a high net worth, it's very hard for them to get access to management. Um, it's very, very difficult. So they feel as though they don't have that voice. Or if any they, power, really. Absolutely. If they've got money with us, then we think we can pull that money with other investors and go to a company and say, hey, we own 7% of you or we are a shareholder or we may be a shareholder. Here are the things that we think you should consider. And that's a really powerful conversation. In your view, you're talking about smaller companies that will take your view. What about big Australian companies? Is there enough thought around these issues? Look, they're moving very quickly. Um, we, we also have, we think, really good dialogue with big companies. So whilst smaller companies are really willing to evolve on this, the difference with big companies is that they've got 10 to 20 to 30 people in there in that role focusing on this. So it's a different conversation, but it's a really important one because they've actually got teams to deal with this. So you can correspond directly with those bigger companies and often get further because they've got a team internally to take it further. Yeah. So it's a fascinating discussion. In part two next week, ethical partners Nathan and Matt discuss the wider investing landscape, the dramatic impact that changes in ESG, environmental, social, governance issues, is having on all business, and they reveal sectors and companies they like that are ticking serious boxes on instigating ethical standards. Join me then. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.